bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Hello and welcome to the After Things podcast. I'm Andrew Maine, joined by Brian Brushwood. Uh, 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 Star Trek Lower Decks is the best thing since First Contact. There, it's on the record now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ratified. <laughs> uh, Justin Robert Young. Uh, good day to you, fine sirs. Bryce Castillo. Oh, uh, forsooth. Hello. <laughs> know what we're doing man well, totally I we're see. a bit all over the map uh, well, that was a great a back... first draft <laughs> we'll do better tomorrow yeah, <laughs> good job and i i and i still say it gets acknowledged as being good but doesn't get as so much love though undiscovered country is a damn fine movie it's 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 a fine murder she wrote that and it's got yeah. david warner in it and that makes me happy oh, <laughs> oh okay war it's the as uh, the eloquent klingon and remember the uh, the original Klingon version of Shakespeare, like yeah. like the you know the, the idea that Shakespeare was supposed to be a Klingon and ah, oh, and it's like that that great there you know Spock says to Kirk you know we on Vulcan have a saying only Nixon can go to China. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good, and it's so grounded. It's so grounded. It's just it's like the movies were the best when the stakes were more limited. You they know, kept, I mean, they like, kept it simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, um, uh, uh, Rathacon just being a sub uh, submarine battle movie, you know. Yeah, Horatio Hornblower, yeah, exactly. Star just, Trek Four, uh, just go home. That's all you have to do. Yeah, like <laughs> you know? fish out of water, putting fish out of water. You know, they're like that literally, but also the like. Uh, yeah, no. How are we going to fit in there? Double dumbass on you. <laughs> 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 oh, it's just, it is so good. Uh, anyhow, um. Hey, so uh, some news leaked today, and that is there'd been rumors that Oculus was going to come out with the Oculus Quest 2. Um, and uh, they some videos came out of people demonstrating the Oculus Quest 2, and Oculus said, yep, it's happening. So I think tomorrow or the next couple of days, because they're going to have the Quest Connect, they're going to officially unveil the Quest 2, which is... Uh, they say that it's lighter. We don't know by how much. It's actually got the new Snapdragon processor. Um, it's got a 50% uh, more resolution to it and uh, it's supposed to be more comfortable, etc. Which they've also pushing the whole thing of the link, the idea of the cable that you use that to connect to your PC. So a very big interesting play. I want to kind of hear your guys' take on this. Does this make you more interested? or I'm... Man? I'm, I'm I... <laughs> I'm a little bit spoiled in that, you know, I've been playing with the Vive for so long and I've gotten accustomed to have, having a tail of uh, a tether behind me at all times. Um, mm -hmm. I, I hope that it is graphically comparable to what I've been used to. If it is, and there's no tether and you could just, you know, full on just walk around out in public with it and, and it just remaps everything and people come up with cool stuff, then uh, that would be very, very exciting to me. Uh, uh, but outside of that, it's it's um, playing. It's it, it seems like a very cozy, uh, still playing catch up to the Vive. Well, uh, I guess I, that it's it, it different between like a, you know, in some ways, it's the argument like the difference between a handhold and a console. Right. You know, the console you got to go sit there, handhold, you pick up, and it's ready. Or PC, because like 
you put this that you press a button and this thing's on. Yeah. You know, there are things that uh, if you only look at it graphically, uh, then it's it's, you know, going to miss uh, what what seems like the point of uh, why this is special. And that is you are going to get less of the kind of graphic immersion, but more of the actual immersion that might matter more that might make it feel more real and and to unlock elements of uh, gameplay that otherwise doesn't uh, exist, even with the vibe. Like the vibe is something that you can get graphical immersion, but also it's like, you know, even then the like screen door on on the vibe, which is better than what um, VR was in the past. I, I don't doubt that now we can probably do better. And this probably has, if it's not, if the graphics aren't there, it might be a little bit more clear. And also the idea that you don't have the setup and you don't have the light boxes and you don't have the things possibly not working. There's, you know, I, I, I've spent the last week and I almost bought it and I held off um, because I wanted to get Raise the Dead done and out the door before I treated myself to a thing. But like, I was thinking a lot about Andrew's pick of the Oasis, the Kindle Oasis, and and simply the idea of like, would I read more if I took away just the frustration I have with the the swiping of the Kindle that I have, like that it doesn't work enough times or I have to think about it enough times that it degrades my ability to hold focus. If I, if, if this were just a physical thing that I always had my finger on and I always knew how to help, I always knew how to hold it or how I wanted to hold it. Like, would that be different? And I think that's the same thing with this. Uh, oftentimes it is the smallest things that you don't even realize are taking you out of something that you don't even realize uh, you, uh, that, that they matter. The absence of these obstacles, these small obstacles matter. And as much as, you know, Brian, you're like, yeah, look, the vibe is great. I'm used to, I've got my technique down to like make sure that I don't accidentally hog tie myself and fall face down on the floor. Uh, but what if you were able to free up those cycles and then you were focusing on the game all that much more? And we don't know. Uh, you don't know that until you until you start using it. So, yeah, I forgot you still this, the the vice still has the lighthouse too. Like that's thing I, f I keep forgetting because like that's the fun thing about the quest is literally it's like oh I'll do it in, oh, I'll just take it in the living room and I'm you're you're in plane or I take it on a trip you know, um, yeah. and you you know I have friends that sometimes we'll get together and we'll bring our quest together and that's kind of the cool thing is you can just sort of uh, the mobility of it. But you're you're always the PC driven performance is always going to be better. If you can plug a cable into it and cook it up to a powerful PC, it is always going to be better. And, and so you're never going to have a mobile experience. It's going to get better than, you know, your gaming PC driving a much faster refresh rate and all that. And and I think that that's there's going to be people that it's like that will be the deciding factor is going to be like it might be like Brian. It might be like, like no, if I can't have, you know, I want to have 120, you know, refresh rate and I want to have, you know, full eight 4K eventually or whatever like. Right. That will always be and, the leading experience. And, uh, you know, 4X uh, anti-aliasing and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. all the shadows and the, the, the ray tracing and all that stuff. Um, I, I'll, I'll be really curious whether or not uh, uh, the this new uh, uh, quest would be able to run Half-Life Alex because that, that sort of is like a, a powerful bellwether moment in mm -hmm. VR gaming. You you can do Alex on their quest right now with the cable. It's just not a great experience. Right. 
And so I imagine with this, because what's interesting too is the original Quest, the Snapdragon processor they put in there was already like two years old. And they did that because of just the power consumption and everything else like this. The Quest is an amazingly well-optimized device. Like you get into it and you realize that it's got the inside out tracking and the fact that you don't need any external things to do your motion. The motion tracking, everything for me performs perfectly. And I am super, super prone to nausea. Like I get sick on rides that people tell you like, oh, the person we have to test this who gets sick doesn't get sick on it. I get sick on it. This has been great. And so uh that's been they used it the older pro now this is the latest snapdragon processor in it so i would imagine with the tether i imagine you'd probably be able to do a pretty good you know a pretty good you know experience playing alex yeah so it, it. um it, not 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 to grandstand too much on this but uh uh man i, I is there any tickle on the morality side of things of the fact that you know facebook like like for whatever reason that that seems to be a beef with me and and it's not rational and i know i know google's selling my information i know i know i I know i just just i uh, can't stop i no i would that part i think you you and i both have grudges because you and i both went through experiences where we we built audiences on facebook only to have Facebook change the rules in an unapologetic sort of way. Multiple and it becomes times. Sort of a yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then to me, I'm like done, like I'm done. Like I will pop into Instagram to say hello to people just so they know I'm alive. I don't go on Facebook. I don't do that. I will, when there is the Android to the Facebook iPhone quest, when there is an alternate to it, hold me on board. Cause here's the beautiful thing. All these great games that you love, you know, people love on quest and I don't, Facebook is aware of this, I'm sure, but like the really great games, they're all developed in Unreal. They're all developed in Unity. They're all easily, you can port them over to other systems and most of them come from other systems to begin with. So they're trying to like the lock-in might be the titles you buy for it, but you know, we, we, we just, we moved to where we want to be. Now Facebook is pushing. We talked about horizons. Did we do an update on that? I don't know if we did. So horizons is Facebook's environment. Or uh, it's there's Rec Room, which you've seen before. Rec Room, you can go in there and create different experiences and stuff. Facebook is launching Horizons, which is their own version of this, where you can go in and create do multiplayer games with friends and create sort of stuff. And they have some new, yeah, uh, Bryce has got a, a video. There's oh, actually oh, newer I, I, stuff. I think we did. I think yeah. we did yeah. talk about this. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. Like there's, there's a, a version of Rec Room. It's a very interesting experience. And like Facebook so far hasn't brought in outside developers to build experiences. They're looking for community stuff which is curious, which implies to me that they're looking for like the Facebook horizon experience, but yeah, I, I'll buy the other version of the quest, you know, the, the alt version when it exists. Um, but it don't exist yet, but it yeah. will, but not right now. Um, so I hear you. I fully hear you. I, I, and, but I'm excited to see that the quest is moving forward. I'm excited to see that the the thing in doing the uh, the faster hardware on it, it does imply that the quest, the original quest, there's going to be games that will no longer work on it because it clearly. I had this conversation a week ago with a friend, like we're talking about, oh, what would you want to see in a quest two? And I'm like, I said I'd rather see them put the fastest hardware because that means the game quality is going to increase tremendously, even if it means telling people on the older quest, I'm sorry, this game won't play on yours. 
Yeah, and I think that that's it. Really depends on on what kind of model they want to follow. If, if it's a hardware or console model, then yeah, like that's people are used to it. There's a reason why you buy the new thing because it runs the new games, and the old thing doesn't run the new games. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's curious, and you know, just wondering too, like uh, Oculus because they do between the Rift, which is you know the one the wired one. And then where they're doing the quest is we haven't heard like what's going to, because like this, this, the new quest two looks like it'll have pretty much the same specs as the rift. And it's why buy a rift when you can buy a quest and plug it into your computer. And then ha implies that we may see a big bump in what the PC powered one is going to do. There's been talk. They've been, we talked about this before. They've been working on, I think we mentioned some in the show, the adaptive optics. So like when you're depth of field, you put like objects in close to you, like you see the focal point changes and shifts. And, you know, this, the quest two is supposed to have like the, you know, Oh, quote 4k, which means like two, 2k displays, which it's not really 4k, but nonetheless, much higher resolution. We may go, you know, much higher there. So the PC experience going to be interesting. Yeah. But I yes. mean, look, I, I, I think that there's, there's a, a, a mobility is the key and yeah. and if you are uh developing for it i think taking advantage of that is fine and for people that have played uh you know the experience that, that brian and i have uh you know with with dedicated hardware for it for a, a significant period of time then uh i think there still is a lot of room for this and and i mean i know andrew you've been effusive about it and you have been the guiding light on on all vr stuff so i i do uh i do look forward to being at a point where i want to treat myself into getting it <laughs> so let me ask ask a question in, in a broader sense have any of you guys ever done any web-based any vr stuff in your in your rift i mean in your vive have you ever done any browser-based vr uh o only to like uh you know when I I'm trying to buy a game in VR and I I have to go through their clunky like uh, open up PayPal and uh, or you know, sign in for it. I'll I'll occasionally uh, hit a button and you know to get your virtual desktop just to be like I just mm -hmm. need this thing to get open to the whatever. So in a, so it's a, it's very interesting because like web VR the ability to deliver VR experiences through the web in your in your uh, headset. It's pretty sophisticated. You know, I've built, you know, I've built entire, you know, experiences. Like I built my, you know, like a version of my shark trainer, the thing I practiced to be around great white sharks. I built it in using what was called WebVR. It's now WebXR on a framework called A-Frame. I built that in there and you go to a website in your headset, you go to ghostdiver.xyz and you play the experience. And now you can all of a sudden play this thing in VR. And it's not going to be as fast as like something that's running on Unity, you know, whatever, a game engine, whatever. But it can be pretty cool experiences. There's Moon Rider, which is the web version of Beat Saber, which is pretty damn good, you know, comparatively, compared to something that's just using all web technologies. And that's sort of an exciting sort of thing is that I wish there was more attention towards the web VR stuff, because if we're looking for creating experiences outside of the Facebook ecosystem, that's kind of the direction we need to think about going. Um, that's that's Dude, interesting because when I think about that kind of application for it, uh, I that's the kind of thing that I would never, you know, 
step into the Vive area and strap on and put on the gauntlets and the headsets and everything. But if 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 there was an experience that that was better for, a Quest would be perfect for you know that that sort of uh, you know light portable experience of just like ah let me jump in real quick. Okay, now I'm out. Well, I guess what I'm saying is though that you could create rich experiences using VRs as web, using the web as the delivery for it. You could be creating like interact. You you there are interact. There's a lot of versions of stuff that's in your that you have on Vive. There's actually web based versions of some of that stuff. You know, and that's the thing I'm saying is that like you could be creating games and experiences like you can do multiplayer like paintball shooters and stuff using the web VR version. And once you're in it, it feels like the one, like the thing you downloaded on your thing. Maybe, you know, there's going to be some performance issues there, but that's the thing that's fascinating to me is that that's really where we want the future to kind of go is sort of using the web as the delivery thing. So that way we're not beholden to one garden kind of thing. I wonder, uh, speaking of, of walled gardens, I wonder, I wonder how far off we are from, uh, Apple's new killer feature being uh, uh, automatically recording some version of 360 video with everything so that uh, especially when like, you know, big news items happen uh, and they, they get released or live streamed or whatever, it's very like you don't even know that you're doing a 360 thing. You're just using your phone like you always do. And then likewise, it's easy to hop in just by grabbing your quest and and being there and maybe maybe there's a fidelity issue with the stitching on the two sides or oh so you mean in terms of like calling like a like a facetime call that would go to vr or no no, no. like a, let's say let's say the president is talking and or 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 you know any of these you know uh, maybe police incidents are happening or whatever you know all of a sudden we're all trained to go out you know pull our phones out and start recording um i i wonder um if if both cameras you know might not be a, f a feature where it's like it grabs both sides does some amount of stitching on the fringes and then anybody can not just not just watch the video of this this you know, uh, yeah. know terrorist attack or whatever terrible news thing is happening but instead is able to just pop on and then get something close enough to being there yeah so uh i don't know if that's if that's a thing, but I, I, uh, I do think that you are, are very prescient in that I could absolutely see as like a version of enhanced live photos, because that's what, you know, Apple just decided like, all right, well now every live photo, every photo that you have, we're going to give you like the second on a little side bit on it. each side of it. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and uh, I, if, if, hold on, hold on, hold oh, on. Sure. If, sure. If instead, or if, as in, in addition to you did get both sides of the camera and like the ad is the baby takes its first steps. And not only are you getting that forever, but you're also getting your reaction to what is happening. I could, I could totally see that. And, and there yeah, are the devices that, that already do that, but they're separate standalone devices. And of course, no, no, you know, no, the idea yeah, would, be, would be this take would something be that you already do thing. and yeah. transform it. Yeah. Yeah, you. I mean, as pointed out here, you would need to have new lenses on there because the angles at best on these things don't even approach to be able to give you a 360. Um, so that would be, you would need to be putting basically a fisheye in the front on the back, which uh, given now how many cameras that new phones have, 
who's to say that that doesn't become crazy, but well, it also then, does on, mean that on you're- On top of that, there's, uh, I, you know, we've talked about, you know, AI getting so good at filling in the gaps on things that, you know, we're, mm-hmm. I, I could see it's like, you know, there's a front focus and a rear focus and yeah, we're kind of, it's pretty much this in between. Yeah, I mean, you can do that, like, you know, OpenAI just showed a paper where they showed, like, the ability to sort of finish and imagine. But the problem is there is if you're holding a thing and you're capturing a live event and it's making up 40% of that data, that's problematic. Uh, we are better off just saying, here's our front and here's our back. And there are uh, there are things that let you record both cameras at the same time. And, like, I don't know if you've seen, there's a really cool uh, uh, app now that if you want to shoot with your iPhone – while you're recording, you can switch from the different cameras on the front or the back at the same time. Choose the close-up, choose the wide shot, <laughs> which makes for sort of a really cool, like you, your one phone all of a sudden looks like a three-camera shoot. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's a couple different versions of this out there now. Well, the other thing, too, like I think that we're, the, the leaked footage, the leaked photos apparently show the next iPhone will have, not surprisingly, the LiDAR which is going to be great because yeah. that's going to give you all that depth information from the scene. And it's not going to be 360, but for Brian, from the point of view of VR stuff, is you'd be able to put your phone there and capture a 360 environment, put on your headset and step into the photo. Yeah, I guess maybe like, that, uh, that that would be a middle step of what I'm imagining, absent, of, like you said, a fisheye on both sides. You, you could probably say like, uh, hey, if you want to do 360, all you got to do is kind of hose everything down uh, and then once it's hosed down, it says, congrats, uh, stay where you are, record whatever you want. And then, and then, uh, at that point it would have accurate fill in information for anything off, uh, off. Yeah, camera. I would, I guess I'm personally more excited about the idea of it doing genuine 3d capture because we've seen examples of people using this to like, they film their couch and now the couch is a 3d object. Yeah. You know, you aim it at your friend. Now your friend's a 3D object. And that's kind of that to me because and you can also use it where you can scan a whole environment. But just the idea of real time 3D capture is insane. That's wild to me because. Yeah. Yeah. I had because like, yeah, I had a couple of those like add ons. I've got like multiple 360 degree cameras. And to be honest with you, like you end up sort of choosing one point of view to look at because actually watching stuff in 360 sucks. Because you're always trying to like, oh, where should I go? Should I turn here? Should I turn there? And it's like, you know, make a choice. Uh, yeah, and in to that, I, I suspect that there'll be another generation of AI that figures that out for you. Where it's just like, uh, hey, no, we've we've watched enough other people watch this to know you need to see this. You need to glance over, see <laughs> this coming. And then watch, go back to this in order to get this moment or whatever. Well, sure. I guess I'd say that some of the examples you brought up, though, like in like some of the civil disobedience stuff and all that, like sometimes people really only want you to see one, the camera pointing in one direction. I, I mean, I mean, I, so- think, I, I think that might be like like an important thing, you know, because because you're right. Uh, people are when they're pointing the camera, they're they're directing the focus and the attention. Whoops. Well, I'm saying they're going to control what you're I'm saying the fact that this would default to this doesn't mean that they're going to go, okay, I guess we'll show the side now. I just think it's like, I think that's a, that would not be a feature they would, would, we would, would be used because of that. Uh, Oh, that's interesting. It would Um, also feel like a compromise to like the trustworthiness of any of this footage. If any amount of it is like AI composited, right? If, 
like, oh, yes, I mean, we see these two cameras, but then the AI said that, you know, there, this guy was over here on the side and then he pops up over here. Like, like, sure, sure, that's, sure, that's, sure. Well, that's and, literally fa fabricated footage at that. Sure. Point. And, and, and also, also not what I'm excited about, uh, but, but would, would imagine would be a middle step to, to get to, okay. uh, yeah, I, I agree that it would be great. I mean, I think it would be neat if we got in the habit of let's capture the whole scene because, and we've in you know, the unedited scene too, because we've seen examples and conflicts both sides from a policing point of view and then from the point of view of people who are suspects of stuff where you look at from a different point of view, a different camera view, and all of a sudden changes the context. And we've seen examples on both sides of that. And whoever controls the camera in that point can in many ways sort of control the narrative. Uh, and that's, you know, the, the, the more objective that is, the better. But that's also, you know, we have... Like, I have no problem with using facial recognition algorithms in public. I have no problem with it because I've seen, I know it's beneficial law enforcement and stuff to identify suspects and stuff. But it's a controversial issue because we say, should these things be used, you know, against us or whatever? And and that's just, we step into that whole debate with this of like, uh, we love a thing when it serves us and then we don't. We saw a police body cams and then when body cam footage was using to actually get more convictions in some cases of people who were pro body cam became not so pro body cam. Uh, uh, yeah, no, that's that's some complicated. That's some crazy yeah. trash. Yeah. So just a podcaster. You guys got picks? I'm still watching The Vow. We mentioned it a little bit earlier. Uh, I'm not giving up on it just yet. Um, I might cross the line of of actually reading up on the story so that I can know. Because as uh, it sounded like Justin's complaint is that uh, at this point they're 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 overly shaping the narrative. Um, uh, but and I know uh, yeah, nothing about it. Yeah, well, no, my pick is the vow too, and I don't know as much about Nixium as as others. I really only know that it was this weird. I mean, I know basically what we know now in the documentary. That's pretty much like the the uh, extent of my knowledge is that it was this Svengali like guy who ran this you know organization. They made a bunch of money. They had some very very rich benefactors, and there was this weird uh, master slave sexual situation. My issue with the documentary is that I'm okay with the, I think, especially now in a very mature, uh, a mature genre of documentary series, documentary filmmaking. I can understand that we want to get into a world where maybe there are some theatrical conceits here where we're recreating certain things, where we are shaping a narrative so it is at its most exciting. I think that, that the era of where we, where, where we are can kind of uh, allow for that. Where I do think it crosses the line, especially with subject matter as serious as this, is when we, I don't know where we are in time. I suspect that a lot of this stuff is recreated. And then it's put up, it's put right next to stuff that is like actually artfully recreated. It, it, it's, it's a person for whom doesn't want to appear on camera. So it's an actress and, and other actresses reenacting her life and uh, her, her story. And it's like, okay, well, 
now, A, we're focusing on people in this very reality television kind of way that takes me out of why I was excited about this very vital story as it was being told before. And number two, I also kind of don't think that they're focusing on some of the more interesting elements of it. And then that gets into the kind of suspicious element of like, well, why are you doing all of this? <laughs> but but the, the first two, I think, are just the artistic problems that I that I had specifically with the fourth episode. Yeah, I my incursion to people's by all all means watch it, but then go don't let it be your only source of it because my frustration with it is that there are people who are principally involved in telling the story in the documentary that there's not a lot of attention put on where what they were saying, what they were doing when they were involved in it in years before because the alec you you watch this documentary and you'd be kind of thinking that everything sort of just broke open in like 2017 or something like this when the criticisms against nexium had started a decade before you know there had been there had been a number of claims and stuff against them for years and people leaving saying they've got problems and stuff and if you watch this you wouldn't necessarily know that you would kind of, and you, cause that's the question I'd like to hear. I want to hear the people who are kind of, that's taking the point of view of, I want to hear them kind of explain like, what were you doing when this was said? What were you doing when people were coming forward? And you know, why did you decide to sell your organization when you thought they were doing criminal things and stuff? And, and there might be really good answers to that. And, you know, I know it in documentary, you have to sort of choose a narrative, but my frustration is that, uh, there, there is, it's very beneficial to be friends with the people making the documentary, <laughs> you know? Uh, because... I, I, I just think it's like, look, uh, we've, we've all watched and read stuff about like, let's say Scientology, where you have people that come out of it, that part of their story is, I was doing bad. I knew I was doing bad. I watched bad things happen. And eventually the hold that the organization had over me, be it psychological or financial, was not something that could hold me anymore and I left. And I I do think that there are parts of this documentary because of who they focus on and because of who is bringing a lot of the original shot from within Nixium footage that does make this very visually compelling that two of the main people are like, what? This is a crazy cult? I am shocked, shocked that this is happening. Oh my God. I had, as soon as I found out about this, I was out the door. Like my butt was on fire where it's like, it, it doesn't feel quite like those other stories of like, no, I remember the first time that I heard and I put it in the back of my mind, or I was able to demonize the people that were saying it because I believed in this so much where like, there's, there's not a lot of that which is, is I think, part of some of these stories that does feel missing. So, like, there was, in 2009, a number of people fled Nexium, calling it a court, I mean, calling it a cult, all of this. That was a public sort of thing. And they, the people involved here, we haven't heard them comment about that. Like, what, what did, you know, what did they, what did they say? You know, Vanity Fair did an article in 2010 calling it a cult and talking about all these, some crazy stuff on this. And it was just this, like, in this version of the story, none of that happened. You know, this version of the story, it's like, oh, we realized in two, late 2017, something weird was going on. And I'm like, that's 
crazy. Like, you know, Rainier was alleged to have like been keeping like an ex-girlfriend locked up in a house, like in a room for like a year, you know, past this point and rumors of this stuff. That's, that's the frustrating thing for me is that it's just this, I don't know why they don't go into that. Why, why do they start the story there and pretend that everything was a secret until then when it was a wide open, Hey, this is probably a cult. There are a lot of people saying it's a cult, you know? Yeah. So. Uh, I have a tentative pick. Uh, I watched this uh, the other night. I watched this last night, and um, I'm I'm gonna give I'm gonna give the listeners um, uh, some advice for this. Uh, this is the Netflix uh, film from Charlie Kaufman. I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, oh, go, did you go, like it? Go into this thinking that this is a thriller. Have the word thriller in your head when you watch this, because I watched the trailer. The trailer's really cool and. The things that the trailer hint at are not what this film is. And I was very confused. Um, there are a lot of things I don't like about this film. It is too long. There is a sequence near the end of the film that is laughably, that is a laughable idea. You would, if you were writing a, a comedy script about a, 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 a fancy art film that's just a little too, a little too hoity-toity, there's an entire sequence that that is unironically uh, done. Um, uh, it's, it's weird. It's not a puzzle box. Um, and it's not, um, I don't know, some it's not a puzzle box is what I'll say. I'm thinking of ending things is a thriller. And it wasn't until after I read that on Wikipedia that I was like, Oh, I probably should have had that expectation going in because. So less, less like, you know, being John Malkovich, which is, is a magical premise that is more about the human consequences of it than like a race against time. Uh, yes. Um, there, I, I wouldn't even call it horror, but it is, I think you're supposed to see this in a in a sort of thriller, uh, sort of kind of on the edge of your seat vibe, which is tough for a two and a quarter hour film. Um, uh, but it, I do think it's interesting. I think the premise of it is interesting. After I tweeted about it last night, everyone was saying, well, you should, should read the book. The book is a little more specific on what is happening and what has happened. Um, but I think it's 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 really interesting. Uh, the editing is really fascinating because it's a lot of overlapping on top of each other right a lot of like cutting people off and a lot of like and so it just feels like really rushed in some ways and and in a socially awkward way the way that if if you when you cut when you, when you cut someone off from speaking you're like oh oh okay um there's kind of a lot of that tony collette uh is in here as the mother she's great uh jesse plemons and jesse buckley do um really good jobs as the, as the protagonists or the main characters i guess um it's interesting, I'll say. It's interesting. Um, I'm thinking of ending things on Netflix. Cool. I have a, a documentary pick, and on the subject of things that do weird reenactments, this man, this does. Uh, uh, the Bit Player, it's about Claude Shannon, who is the information theorist who basically came up with the concept of like using zeros and ones for binary, and a very fascinating guy who kind of ahead of his time, and they do this thing in the documentary where, because he's since passed away a while ago, they stage uh, interviews with, they have an actor playing him, and then they basically faux interview this actor playing him like in the 1980s. 
And so it's a weird, weird conceit because like you're watching them answering stuff and then they have a woman playing his wife in the background, like cleaning up like during the interview and stuff. And then she gets, it's such a, I, but he's such an interesting guy. I'm like, check it out. But OMG, is it weird to watch a documentary, literally fake documentary interviews with a guy to have him talk about this point of view. Like maybe it sounded clever or whatever. And I'm like, it puts it, it puts a layer of falseness there, which kind of frustrates me because I'm watching a guy pretend to be. That's not him, you know. That's that's a guy pretending to be him, you know. Yeah, so. you know, I, I I think that again, we're in a very mature era for uh, for this kind of product, and I think people are taking different chances. Uh, some work better than others, <laughs> and and yeah. I think the ones that work the best are the ones where I'm heightened into the story as opposed to I'm now questioning the authenticity of the information. And I think that's sometimes where the art can kind of subsume the message is when to make things more palatable, you're making me question whether or not I should believe this. Yeah. He, and I didn't realize that Mark Levinson made this, he made particle fever, which I actually had some friends that were producers on that. Um, worked on that which i think was a great you know talk about that but yeah i was just again the topic is great i'm thrilled that he, they made a documentary about him but i'm like I'm like that's just like this is really weird like oh this is really weird <laughs> yeah other than that check it out though uh gentlemen it's been after Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program.